This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A quest is a search for something. And every week, the Quest podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. I'm your host, Todd Fisher. Join me in this thought-provoking and inspiring podcast of discovery. Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to A Catholic's Perspective, the podcast all about being a young Catholic surviving in a secular world. Today, I have a special treat for you guys. I have Father Ken Geraci with us, and he is going to discuss his latest book, Spiritual Warfare and Divine Mercy, The Weapon for Our Times. And so I am very happy to welcome on Father Ken Tracy. Thank you so much. It's good to be with yes, you. Yes, wonderful. You? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited for this. Um, you know, for those who don't know about you. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, I think I've, I've, uh, I was a prodigal son most of my life. I was raised Catholic, but fell away in high school. Uh, came back to faith uh, through my business partners. Uh, I worked in business for about seven years, co-founded a software company. Uh, but in that time of agnosticism, uh, my business partners began to challenge me on my worldview and began to have one conversion after another and went from agnostic to spiritual. I, was, I had a yoga <laughs> mat for a while. And uh, from spiritual to Christian, Christian, and then I never wanted to be Catholic and I never wanted to be a priest. Um, but the more I studied, the more I prayed, the more I opened myself up to God's revelation, uh, the clearer Catholicism became to me and I was able to freely embrace it. And then I was on a date the day I realized I was supposed to be a priest. So there it is. That's the nutshell of wow, my journey. Wow, that's fantastic. I know we have kind of like a similar story of falling away and coming back. Mm -hmm. So when I heard you were writing this book, um, for those who are watching and not just listening, you have to get this book. I am obsessed. I've read it twice already. Um, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but I, I'm a fast reader when I'm like into something. And it's very yeah. easy and it's very digestible to read, which... I personally really appreciate because so many books out there on spiritual warfare. I love Father Chad Ripperger, but his books are like huge. Boom. And I'm like, mm -mm, Dominion. I was like, that's great. Um, by the time I finish it, I'll be like 93. So it's not going to work. <laughs> but this was like perfect because my story, a lot of people know, um, ties in with divine mercy when how I, you know, came back, Jesus asked me, he's like, do you trust me? And so I didn't know that that tied into divine mercy until I got deeper into my faith and remembered a little bit more. And ever since then, divine mercy and spiritual warfare have been two of my most favorite topics. So to have them in one book is like fantastic. <laughs> nice. How long did it take you to read? It only took me about a day, honestly, twice, yeah. because I was like, I yeah. try to like, space it out. So the second time I really took my time and took like three days, but I, it was easy for me to just go through and like highlight and be like, Oh, I got to tweet about this. Oh, I got to tell my friend about that. It was, it's amazing. Awesome. So highly suggest people go out and get the book, but father, what 
really inspired you to write this book? What was put on your heart that you were like, oh, I should write this? I think it's as a, so the Fathers of Mercy were traveling confessors and preachers. So I spend seven months of the year on the road traveling, going parish to parish, working with parishes to have a renewal, basically. And that's the point of a parish mission. And everywhere I go, I'm finding people who are just, they're getting crushed spiritually and emotionally by the world, by secular events, by politics, by family discord. And people are always saying, Father, I feel like I'm always under attack. What do I do? And so there's a standard, you know, ways of responding to, to spiritual warfare. But the deeper I got into my own conversion, the deeper I got into the life of St. Faustina, the more I realized there is a spiritual dimension to the divine mercy message and what God wants to give us. And so I started preaching on this, you know, back in 2013, I guess. Um, and the more that I preach on it, and this is one of my most popular talks that I give, and it just became one of these things that people really became very in love with the idea and it was easy to preach on. So uh, when Tan Books approached me about doing my first book, Why Be Catholic, uh, then it allowed us to get into this second one as a second idea. And it kind of went from there. So all organic and all by God's divine providence. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think that it's such a, a wonderful, you know, topic, especially in today's day and age where you know, spiritual warfare is running rampant, like everywhere. You see it in the culture, you see it in people and how depressed and, you know, stressed everybody is. And, you know, the politics and abortion, you just, everything just screams that we're in a time of war. And I think it can be really difficult sometimes because I think a lot of people, they don't believe Satan exists. You know, they kind of view him as like this metaphor and they're just like, especially a lot of Catholics, um, I've noticed, they're just like, oh no, Satan's just a metaphor for like the bad things that happen in the world. And it's like, no, no, that's not it. So Father, with all of the crazy spiritual warfare going on today, could you kind of discuss and explain like the importance of divine mercy in today's world? I think the most important element of divine mercy is recognizing the power that Jesus Christ gave us when he revealed himself to St. Faustina. He didn't say that my attribute is divine mercy. He said, I am the divine mercy. And so every time we pray the divine mercy or enter into any element of the divine mercy message, whether it be confession, the feast day, the novena, the chaplet, the image, we are literally drawing the graces that flow directly from the Eucharistic part of Jesus Christ, from his very presence, whether it be in heaven, in the tabernacle, on the cross, those graces are made present to us. So when we're looking at spiritual warfare, you want the most powerful weapon available and most powerful defense available, and that's Christ himself. And so that's the really essence of the divine mercy message, that it's not an attribute, it is Christ that's himself. That's beautiful. I also think, especially today, I see a lot of people um, kind of bash divine mercy. I, I see it a lot on Twitter. I don't want to say it's just traditional Catholics, you know, the, the crazy ones though, but because I consider myself a traditional Catholic, but I notice a lot of people tend to bash divine mercy. What what do we say to those who don't think it's legit or, or they just don't like it? It's such a hard question to answer because you're dealing with such a strong bias. Like for people who say, hey, listen, that's not my jam. I'm like, okay, hey, I respect that. If it's not, you don't, but if you try to deny it, that's a strong statement. I mean, if you're denying it, you're denying John Paul II's papacy. You're denying, I mean, you, you put yourself, really separating yourself from the church. Um, 
but at the heart of the divine mercy, specifically for traditional Catholics, specifically for those who love the Latin mass, I don't understand why a person who has a great affiliation for the Latin mass does not pray the divine mercy chaplet throughout the, throughout the mass, which our Lord had Faustina do. Um, when you pray the divine mercy chaplet, you are entering into the liturgy of the Eucharist. This is one of the things that so many people don't know or understand. The words of the prayer, eternal father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. For what reason? The atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. That's the main prayer we say when we pray the chaplet, which is an extension of, you know, the body, blood, soul, and divinity is the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the mass. The mass is Calvary. So when you pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, mystically you enter into the Mass, into the sacrifice of Calvary. And everyone I know who loves the Latin Mass really has that great understanding and they appreciate the true reality that the Mass is a sacrifice. And how can we enter into it for the greatest graces? So the Chaplet is an extension of that in your hand. So I'm confused. Yeah, it always confuses me as well, because when I get into these conversations with them, I'm like, well, why? You know, why do you guys not believe? And they're like, oh, because the church originally condemned it. And I'm like, I, I don't know if the church necessarily condemned it. I think they were just being careful and making sure that it was legit before allowing people to really dive into it. I don't know what your take is on that, but that was just the vibe that I got. Yeah, it's and it's the same thing with the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I mean, that was on the index of banned books for, I think, like a hundred years or something like that, because they didn't understand that they're in the church moves slowly to understand the theological ramifications. The same thing with divine mercy. The first translation of the diary of St. Faustina was done so poorly and it had so many errors in the translation. When John Paul II was made Pope, he had it reviewed and had it go through all of its proper paces. And there you have it. You have not only the papal approval, but you have the approval of the church saying there's nothing contradictory to faith and morals in there. I think it's so interesting because these people, what they won't do their own research into it. It's like the confirmation bias. Oh. I talked about this with Trent Horn. Yes. It's like they yes. hear one thing that really they just resonate with and then they don't care to do any other research or you know hear other opinions that might actually be important and i know you talked about in this book um how divine mercy and the sacred heart of jesus devotion is oftentimes pitted against each other or like if divine mercy is true then the sacred heart devotion isn't true the seven first sundays or fridays um but in reality in the book you clarify that they actually connect very well with each other and they actually you know um support one another and i just think it's really silly for people to kind of get i guess you know their pants in a twist because you know, they just, they aren't opening themselves up to a devotion that's not harm, like it's, it's harmless, but also so powerful. You know, they're really missing out on a lot of spiritual graces. Exponential amount of graces. I mean, when you, whether have the image, divine mercy image or the chaplet or participate in the feast day, I mean, God wants to give us so much, but if we have, but the, the, the key that opens the door to allow Christ in is humility. And thinking we know better than the church, we know more than the church, it's a dangerous place to be. Yes, absolutely. And that kind of brings us into our 
other side of it, which is confession. This was a whole chapter in your book because confession is so powerful. That's where we get the graces and things like that. And something that I loved is that you touched on the fear of confession. Um, because there are so many times I've gotten emails or comments or DMs about people who, who say they're too afraid to go to confession. And sometimes they've had a bad experience with a priest, but most of the time I find it as, as a spiritual attack. You know, the devil is trying to keep them from confession. Could you speak about the fear of confession? Yeah, absolutely. The, the last thing the devil wants you to do is go to confession. He does not want you to know the sweetness and love of God. He does not want you to know that peace that only Christ can bring after a good sacramental confession. So I, I think your insight there, I didn't say that in the book, that's you, that's a good insight, that the devil is constantly working at you uh, to keep you away from the sacrament. Um, the way that I describe confession is like a child going to a parent saying, here's all the ways I failed and I wanna be better. And when we look at this, when you go to confession, you are the one who makes all of the accusations and you accuse yourself of all of the things you've done wrong according to the light of Christ. And then it is Christ himself who embraces you like the father and prodigal son, who welcomes you home. But even more than that, it's as if that you were the only person that had ever lived. And as the priest makes the sign of the cross over you, it's as if his fingers are a scalpel that cut through time and space all the way back to Calvary so that the fullness of the graces flow upon your soul. All of those redemptive graces wash you clean, make you new. You know, it's, it's amazing how good you feel after a good sacramental confession. True. And I think it's so beautiful because it's not just an interior feeling, but people have said that people who are in a state of grace have an exterior glow to them that is just very noticeable. It's very, um, very reverent. And I know that a lot of Catholics are unaware of bad confessions or confessions that are not valid, invalid confessions. Um, could you explain a little bit about those? Because people get confused about that. Um, and I've explained it a lot, but what's an invalid confession? So, so a bad confession or an invalid confession is where you go and you make your confession and you premeditatively withhold a mortal sin that you know you need to confess. And that invalidates the confession. And it actually, there's a, there's a uh, meme of this where a, a guy walks into the confessional carrying a stack of books and he walks out carrying twice the amount that he walked in with. So when you go to confession, you need to confess all of your sins in number in kind, the mortal sins, the, the approximate number and the approximate kind. And you need to confess number in kind to the best of your ability. Now, if you go in, in the confession and you make your confession and then you realize, you know, you, you might have missed a holy day of obligation, but, you, you know, you didn't know or you didn't remember, it, that's not a mortal sin. That's not a bad confession, but you de do need to mention it in your next confession. Isn't it a form of sacrilege if you willingly withhold a mortal sin? That's sacrilege. So that's why you come out with more sins than when you went in. Absolutely. It, it takes the fracture in your soul and rips it open even deeper. It's so difficult because I know so many people have shame about going to confession. They're like, what is the priest going to think of me? You know, I'm going to, I'll be honest, I'm pretty guilty of avoiding my spiritual director when I go to confession. 
I'm like, I don't want him to know. <laughs> but um, I go to another you priest that I really like. <laughs> but the thing is, is like you said, though, priests, they listen to one confession after another after another. They're probably not going to recognize it, your voice, or remember you afterwards. And yeah. so when people go in... I've had people tell me they're like, I tried disguising my voice. I'm like, that's just that just gives you away. Like the priest knows. It's just a dead giveaway. It's like you you can't like you can't disguise your voice unless you're like one of those people that can do that. I forget what that's called. They can like mimic other people. Ventral, yes. Thank you. It's like ugh, I could not do that. Um, but if you guys can, great. Uh, but maybe don't go to confession as Marilyn Monroe or somebody. <laughs> I'll tell you, as a confessor, I, I've I've been a confessor for a priest for uh, just over eleven years, and I hear when I'm on the missions, I hear three to four hours of confessions each day. That's the average, and I hardly ever remember any sins at all. But what I do remember, what impacts me the most is the sincerity and humility that a person brings to confession. And it is, it is the most beautiful thing in the world to hear someone's confession. And even if they're just venial sins, the sincerity that I'm sorry that I offended God and the peace that and the trust that is built into that, it, that's what stands out to us. Not that you did X, Y, and Z. And, and believe me, I have heard some humdinger of confessions. Um, but it's not the sins. It's it's what people say, I want to be better. That's key. Yeah. And I think that that power of humility, right? Because St. Faustina said there's three words. I forget the first one, but the second two was humility and obedience. Um, mm. And so I think, you know, having that in our hearts is so important. There are so many people who I think go to confession for the wrong reasons. Um, they do it as a status or a look, you know, oh, I'm in the confession line. People are seeing me in the confession line. And it's really important for us to orient our hearts around Christ and around his mercy and forgiveness and not around what makes us look good or, you know, it can be really difficult to have that change of heart. But I think through divine mercy, um, I forget who said it, but somebody said, I think it was in the Bible, uh, Lord, replace my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And I think through divine mercy, I have been, God's been able to break through to me um, in that area. And it's really important that we're living our faith for us and God, you know, for our relationship and not for other people. And being online can be difficult because you are, you know, for myself, at least I, I fall into that issue of like knowing, okay, Am I contributing to an issue? Am I actually helping? Um, am I, you know, using my relationship with God for clout? Like, there's all these things that go through your mind, and it can be really hard to focus on God when you have all this other stuff going on. But for me, the Divine Mercy Chaplet is one of those ways that I can really focus, and I can offer myself to God and, and really cultivate that relationship with Him more. Nice. Yeah, I, I think one of the greatest evils in our world today and the greatest trick of the devil is eliminating fear of God in our hearts. Um, and that word fear of God is very important specifically because this is, was one of my big hangups when I was looking at Christianity is someone said, you have to have fear of God. And I'm like, why? I didn't understand. Why would you be afraid of God? What is fear of God? And the only way to truly understand fear of God is to have been in love. 
Like, I, I think like you have to have loved somebody so intensely. Um, and I'm not, not necessarily romantic love, but, but just to love so much like your parent or grandparent. I remember a friend of mine, he, his grandmother was like, if you get a tattoo, I am going to tie a rope around your pinky toe and hang you from a tree. There are no tattoos in this household. And like, as he got older in life, the grandmother died and, and someone was talking to him. He got out of the military. He's like, you know what? You should really get a tattoo. And he really wanted it. But he was like, if I get a tattoo, I am going to hurt my grandmother. Like, I'm going to break her heart. They're like, she's dead. She's like, she's not dead. She's in heaven. And I want it, but I'm not going to get it because I love her and I know it would disappoint her. You know, and that, well, that's something simple, right? Now, imagine not wanting to do the slightest thing to offend God. The way we talk, the way we keep custody of our eyes, the way we dress. All of these things, you know, add or subtract to our relationship with Christ. I think that's profound. And I think we also need to understand that, you know, God is a loving father. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like if we mess up, he still loves us. But there will be some sort of, you know, temporal punishment afterwards or we do penance or fasting or something. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just so important that we've lost the sight of what true fatherhood looks like so people view god as a tyrant because people are like well if my mom or dad really love me they let me do whatever i want and it's like no there's love within rules there's love within restriction i just i think we've lost the beauty of the family and so when people see god they're not viewing a loving father, they're viewing someone who wants to control them and some tyrant. And it's like, no, that's not at all. That's how this that's how society perceives him, because he has these rules in place to protect us because he loves us. And he's this church, the one church of Christ, to help us, you know, because this, as Saint Tres of Lisieux says, this world is our ship, not our home. And so to journey, we need guidance. We need the four yeah. pillars of the church. And so many people have stepped out from underneath those pillars and they're being crushed, you know, or they're being drowned by the waves of society. And it's sad to see. And, you know, as a priest, I'm sure you see a lot of uh, things going on in today's world. What are like the main spiritual warfare and attacks you're seeing today as a priest? I mean, the, the attacks coming in, it's both inside and outside the church. So outside the church is apathy, the sin of apathy that I'm good. Um, I've got a relationship with Christ. You don't have to go to church. I mean, literally, I just had this conversation with someone very close to me. Uh, he said, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. And I'm like, I, yeah, no, I'm like, okay, where did you get that? And, and so let's talk about it. Help me understand your, your supporting evidence to that. But no one's willing to do the work. So there's a laziness that people are hinging their eternal salvation on feeling or their own personal bias. So it comes back to what you said earlier about confirmation bias. The second great spiritual attack is coming from within the church. Those who, members of the clergy who want to water down, want to dilute, even deny the deposit of the faith. That's so difficult. I think so many people are struggling today with the church especially with the latest um, thing that was just released about same-sex marriages. And 
I don't think people, again, people honestly, they like to jump to the conclusion. They like to just jump and go for the jugular, so to speak. Um, they don't take time to put their thumbs away, put the phone down, pray about it. It's just instant chaos. And I think that is another thing we're seeing today is a lack of, what would you say that is? Lack of prudence, self-control? Self-control, prudence, it's self-love, I think, is the heart of it, is that I love myself so much and I want everyone to love me, so I want to say something that gets attention drawn back to me. It's so difficult, especially when I see all of these bigger influencers. Um, you know, they spread so much hate, honestly, for 100%. the papacy and for the Rome, for Rome, and then they tell people, oh, but don't leave. I'm like, but you're not giving people a reason to stay. You, you're constantly bashing the Pope and you're constantly bashing, you know, our leaders. And you're not giving recognition where recognition is due. Because when Pope Francis actually does something good, you don't hear about it. Nope. You know, and obviously secular society likes to warp things and they change a lot of the titles. They like to change a lot of headlines and they like to hook you, but nobody cares to read the rest of it. Nope. Um Nobody I know actually even read the actual document. And those who did and came to the conclusion that Pope Francis said blessing same-sex unions was okay, they're lying to themselves because that's not what the document says. You know, the individuals can come up separately for blessings and it can't be in the form of a marriage ritual or anything like that. But a person can accept a blessing from a priest no matter what what kind of life they're living. Like blessings are really important for people, but they can't bless sin. And that hasn't changed. Um, and so people who really like to twist the words and stuff, I find this time and time again, you can't correct them. Once they're set in what they think, that's it. That's all. They don't care. They will, even if they're wrong, they will fight you tooth and nail until yeah. like either you give up or you're blue in the face. And yeah. It's so unfortunate because I think there's a lack of communication. I think it's causing a lot of scandal. And these people aren't giving, you know, the people who follow them kind of turn into them where they're they're feeding off the anger and all this stuff. So they become angry Catholics. And that's where like the mad trads come from. Um, yep. And it's just it's crazy. It's crazy to see it. And it breaks my heart, you know. Yep. Yeah, it's it's fueling the the anger mob, the hate mob, and you know, and the devil is behind that. The devil, again, you know, every faithful Catholic I know experienced great anxiety as a result of that document because it lacked clarity, it lacked specificity. There, there was again, there was so many different ways to present that, and and it was presented very poorly. That's not a judgment. That's an absolute fair observation. Um. But now you get into the text and what does it actually say? And yes, it does breed confusion. But to trash the papacy, to go after the ad hominem attacks, I mean, deal with the issues, not the people. Yeah. And I think it's important because I completely agree. We can disagree with Pope Francis on things. And I think that's something that people take too far, you know, because disagree turns to bashing. Yeah. And I remember a priest, I think it was... Uh, Father Sam French, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's in Australia. He's fantastic. And he basically said that, you know, um, St. Catherine of Siena, when she had an issue with the papacy, she directly wrote to the Pope 
she directly wrote to her leaders. She didn't go around posting billboards and stuff and saying like, Pope did this. We have three popes. This is crazy. She directly went to them and wrote a bunch of letters. And that's something we all have the ability to do. We can all do that. Yeah, and part of it is when we don't feel ourselves being heard, then we want to take matters into our own hands. Uh, take, for example, the the part in the scripture where it said Judas Iscariot, right? And so um, I can't remember the chapter and verse, but it said that Judas was asked to do something, but the apostles knew that he was in charge of the treasury and he was stealing from the money, from the purse. And so could you imagine being one of the other 11 apostles, and you're seeing Judas literally lifting some money. And what do you do? You go up to Jesus and say, hey, hey, boss, hey, this guy is this guy is stealing from you. And Jesus is like, hey, thank you. I'll handle it. I got it. And then you see him do it again. And you're like, hey, Jesus. Ah. He's like, I got it. At what point is there a temptation to take matters into your own hand? Right? And, and this is what we're seeing. Specifically, there was one individual that, that just ravaged the internet by denouncing the Pope and saying because the Pope didn't use the right words, um, Benedict didn't use the right words, Francis is not, a val- he's not a Pope. He's not a valid Pope. He's what, an anti-Pope, not a real Pope, whatever the right word is. You know, and th- that created so much unbelievable division. The same thing w- with the communion on the tongue issue versus communion in the hand. I mean, the division that this is causing you know, if we would stop and think, how does this make Jesus feel? And instead of going out on a rage campaign and going out spreading discord to console the heart of Jesus, uh, most people don't have a prayer life to support uh, the amount of uh, speech that they promote out in the internet. It's true. And I think it's a reflection, you know, because we're seeing that because confusion, anxiety, hate, all these things are not of God. God is a God of love and of a God of, you know, peace, but also judgment and things, but just judgment. Um, And I just see time and time again, you know, I've been dragged through the mud for saying like, pray for Pope Francis. And people are like, oh, I'm not going to pay for him. I'm going to pray for the guy who comes next or, and I'm like, we're all in need of prayers and I try to urge people to put themselves in the in in the shoes of someone else I'm like how would you feel if someone said I'm not going to pray for you and a lot of people will say well like I don't care I don't need people to pray for me but deep down like you know if you put yourselves in the shoes of the Pope the Pope has so much going on and he's oftentimes misquoted he's constantly being dragged through the mud and yes, I agree there are a lot of vague things. There are things he should have spoke out, spoken out about that he hasn't or clarified things that he hasn't. Like, it's okay to disagree. But the whole point is that, like, we should be praying for our church leaders because at the end of the day, that's going to do more than bashing them on Twitter. Right, right. Yeah, and if we see an error in doctrine or an error in teaching, correct that error. Say, this is the error in teaching and this is the proper teaching. But if we're not praying and fasting for these people, I mean, you... That's that's what leads to conversion. I was agnostic. I, and you, you, Amber, you and I have this very similar story. Who prayed for us? I mean, you look at all the rosaries that have been said, the sacrifices that people used to make for the conversion of some poor sinner. People would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays for vocations to the priesthood. Man, I am a, I am a direct result of those prayers. 
And if, if God can take me from being a pagan who had all of my sinfulness and I didn't care about any of it and take me from that to now to the priesthood where I'm really, I really want to do it right. I want to do what God wants. I mean, if he can do that with someone like me, he can do that with anybody. Popes all the way down to the youngest insignificant person in the church. And it's so true. I My prayers mainly came from my sister, who mm. was very strong in her faith. And now we kind of switched a little bit. I'm praying for her now. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's so true. And I think it was Father Ripperger or somebody, I forget, who talked about the treasury of prayers and how it's kind of gone down quite a lot, where there's... A, a treasury of prayers where exorcists can draw from during exorcisms from people to help during exorcisms. The, I don't remember the exact thing, but, and he said that it's very low because people don't have the same prayer life they used to have. You know, they don't, they're not making the sacrifices, doing the penance, and it's really created this culture of comfort. And when it is comfortable, like you said, we have this indifference about things or, we don't think we need certain things from God. We don't need this relationship from God. Um, it's very flippant. And because of that, we're not, you know, our, we're just all suffering because, you know, being Catholic, it's communal. We help each other out through prayers and fasting and stuff, but nobody wants to put themselves in those situations. Previously, you didn't have to seek out situations for penance. Um, you know, World War One, World War Two, the Great Depression, the stock market crash of 2008, um, you know, but we still live very comfortably today. And even though there's inflation and stuff, it's not like how it was. And I feel like today we really need to seek out penance and mortification versus you know previously yeah you uh, preach it girl you just keep talking um i'm loving every word you're saying because it's true i mean it's so, so again not not to be self-promoting here but this loops us back to the divine mercy is that if the treasury the body of christ the the nutrition that we're spiritual nutrition we're providing the body of christ is low this is why we need to pray the prayers that provide the greatest nourishment, the greatest power to it. And that's going to be the Divine Mercy Chaplet, the Most Holy Rosary. And the only thing that's greater than those two sets of prayers would be participating in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Yes. And I think, you know, especially when we pair the Divine Mercy Chaplet with the Rosary, I mean, it's so powerful. But the Divine Mercy Chaplet has always had a very special place in my heart and i know for a fact like when isn't it kind of like um offering christ a sacrifice in a way is that kind of how it works like we're offering him yeah. something so, so it's exactly like when you attend mass when you attend mass you participate in mass and we call this active participation this is where the lay faithful unite themselves through the hands of the priests and the offering of calvary to god the father and so the great doxology where the body and blood and is lifted up and presented to God through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. So that is the point of coming to Mass, to unite yourselves through the hands of the priest and Christ's sacrifice, to be united with that, to God the Father. And so when you pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, you mystically enter into that offering of Jesus Christ. And so you're making those salvific graces presence for yourself, 
for your intention and the environment that you find yourself in. I think that's so important. We definitely need that today. And the first uh, prayers my mom taught me were the Divine Mercy Chaplet and the Rosary because those, you know, were the first ones that you teach a kid. Um, and I think too many people these days are not taking advantage of the graces that are still, they're just so willingly given to us. Um, yes. You know, we just have to accept them. And what would you say to those who are kind of like apprehensive about, you know, all of this? They're just like, well, I don't really need God. I, I'm doing my own thing and I'm fine. You know, kind of like how we were back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. What do I say to that person? Um, what would I want someone to say to me? I think I would just say, come and see. I would invite them to go to the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel and just go sit in that Adoration Chapel for, for 10 minutes a day for, I don't know, two or three times a week for a month. Just, just make 10 visits over a 30-day period and go sit in front of the tabernacle or the Jesus in the monstrance for 10 or 15 minutes, 10 times over 30 days. Come and see experience Christ in the Eucharist and tell me, is your life better or worse as a result of those visits? Hey, well, you, you know, I, I mean, this is one of these things that if we're so in love with ourselves and so in love with our own identity, like you think that's it, you think this is it. This is the best version of Amber. This is the best version of Father Ken. Listen, man, all you got to do is talk to my brother priest and they'll be like, ooh, Father Ken, there's a lot of growth left. There is, there's a lot more work to do. You know, yeah, it is. And, and just to think, you know, we talk about being the best version of ourselves. And yeah, there, there's problems with that statement. But if you want to be the best version of yourself, go to the person who created you and ask him, who am I? And listen to him. And let him tell you who you are as he made you, not as you claim to be. It's beautiful because I think relativism has really plagued the culture. You know, my truth is my truth. I'm the center of my world. We see that constantly in self-help books and, and we just see it everywhere. You know, it's like, oh, do what makes you happy. But that's never really what makes us happy. And... I think really when we do what God wants us to do, that's what makes us happy. But conforming ourselves to his will is so difficult, but it could be in little things. St. Alphonsus Liguori talks about, you know, con you know, conforming to God's will, something like that. Or uniformity. Uniformity. Yes. Yeah. There, that word. You read that? That is my favorite it's book so ever. Good. And ever. And it's like 25 pages. It's the shortest book, but incredible. It's amazing. And I specifically love where he talks about the weather and how if it's cloudy, if it's snowing, if it's raining, be happy because that's what God wants right now. And I think just little ways of conforming ourselves. Like right now, it's gray. It's cloudy. I hate the gray, the gray and cloudy times because I need vitamin D and everything. But I'm also happy that it's gray and cloudy because that's what God wants and what God wants makes me happy. So, you know, being able to reject the culture and society and embrace this uniformity with God's will is difficult, but so worth it. And I think the Divine Mercy Chaplet 
and being aware of the spiritual warfare you're going through is a perfect way to start. You just said a statement that I've never heard a young person make. I want what God wants. If God wants that, and if that makes God happy, if that makes God happy, I want it because it makes him happy. Yeah, well, the, but it shows it shows a level of maturity that you are you are beyond yourself. This is not this is not about you. It's it's like it's like parents with children. It's your the parents are more than willing to sacrifice their time because this is something their children want because it brings joy and it helps make them better. I mean, if we do that with our children, how much more with God? And then, if you're only concerned with making God happy. What is he going to be concerned about? He's going to return that love. God cannot be outdone in generosity. Oh, Amber, you you just made my day. That's awesome, kid. Thanks. I, I don't even, honestly, when I do these things, I ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Yeah. Yeah. And you really have to put yourself in God's hands. I think that's what yeah. it really comes yeah. down to is it's, you know, glory to him. And we can really get stuck in this. Tra I... Still till this day, I can get stuck in the relativism trap where I'm just like, oh, well, I believe this or I'm like, and it's like you have to really become self-aware and snap yourself out of it. Um, you got to pop the bubble, so to speak, and just start living for Christ and, and figuring that out. So, um, well, and it's draining the abscess, you know, it's like an infection. You have to constantly drain it because that infection of sin, the wounds that happen to us, the wounds that we've created in our own heart and soul, those things get infected. And it's God's grace, it's humility, it's penances, it's living as you're describing, what what makes Christ happy and how can I help participate in that? Those are the things that will allow us to live a selfless life that keeps us rooted in this and gives us peace. No, that's a wonderful analogy. I never thought about it like that because, but it makes so much sense. In order for it to get better, it kind of has to get worse first. And then as it heals and as those wounds heal, you know, there's some growing pains. There might be a scab or something, but eventually it becomes healed and, you know, you're healthier and you're better for it. And, you know, your life is better. So I think the analogy is perfect for this situation and people really just need to become self-aware and they have to want you know to change i think that's the number one thing if you can't force anybody to um but it's just like with an alcoholic or any other person who's addicted to things it's like you you have to admit you need help um before god can really help you you have to ask him for it yeah, that's a beautiful way of saying it. But all right. Well, I really appreciate you for coming on, Father Ken. This has been absolutely wonderful. And where can my listeners find you? Uh, we are Fathers of Mercy Everything. So fathersofmercy.com, YouTube slash Fathers of Mercy, Instagram slash Fathers of Mercy. So um, you'll see our YouTube, it's about 20 minute, 15 to 20 minute homilies. And then Instagram, we do a lot of reels. Uh, so uh, that's mainly me, but uh, a mix in of some of our other guys. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Father Ken. This has been a wonderful discussion. I'm so glad you could join us. Amber, you're wonderful.
Amber, you're wonderful. It was a great being with you. Thank Absolutely. you so much. And for those of you who want to go buy the book, definitely go and get it on Tan Books. It's called Spiritual Warfare and Divine Mercy, The Weapon for Our Times. It's just such a phenomenal read. I'm going to read it again. Um, third time's the charm. So <laughs> I really appreciate it. And with all of that being said, guys, I'll talk to you guys in the next podcast. Do you have questions or comments about today's episode? Email me at thereligioushippie at gmail.com or leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash thereligioushippie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Amber Rose and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright by The Religious Hippie NFP. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for The Religious Hippie at thereligioushippie.com or find me on social media for other unique content. Hi, I'm Father Daniel DePlantis, a Catholic priest, martial artist, and host of the Karate Priest Podcast. Have you ever wondered what the church teaches about different topics? Are you a martial arts enthusiast or just someone who wants to learn more about martial arts? I'd like to invite you to join me and many guests on my podcast as we cover topics of faith, everyday living, and martial arts on the Karate Priest Podcast.